Welcome to the latest edition of the Grassroots Government Podcast. I'm Avery Davidson hosting it. I've got Carl Wiggers here who's producing it and making us all sound good. Andy Brown, the National Affairs Coordinator for the Louisiana Farm Bureau, will be joining us in a little bit. But with us right now, we have Legislative Affairs Director Joe Mapes with us to uh, talk a little bit about uh, what's going on. It looks like you get to go back to work at the Big Pointy Building. Yes, at the Big Pointy Building, definitely. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, everybody out there. Good afternoon. I'm sorry. I don't know what time this airs. Regardless, we do go back Monday. And, you know, we've been away from the building since about, I think, the, uh, what was it, the 13th and uh, of March. And, yeah, and so here we go back in. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty because we're in uh, uh, areas we've never been before, like with the social distancing and, you know, uh, 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 they're not going to require masks to be worn in the Capitol. That's your choice. So some people are going to say that they don't want to go because that other people aren't wearing masks. And it's, you know, you've got uh, 28 days now for a legislative session that was supposed to be 85 days long. And what's that, that's not going to allow for big issues to be held, uh, to be successfully passed through the process either. The biggest issues that the governor wants to pass and that the state is obligated to pass because of a constitutional amendment, we have to have a balanced budget by June 30th, July 1st. Um, so they're going to focus on all the money bills, the budget bills, a couple of tax bills related to the budget. And they get those bills through. Uh, and then try and get out and go home. Now, the Senate president has said several times publicly that anybody that wants to file their, I mean, have their bill scheduled to be heard can have it to be, can have it scheduled to be heard. Now, that's not a wise choice. Me, I've been doing this a long time. If I got an 85-day session, I want every single minute of that 85 days. You cut me down to 28 days and tell me I got to do the same job on a very important issue to the industry not taking that chance okay why wouldn't you take that chance would you play all your cards in a in a, in a short hand uh, a short a short round is that what that is that what you would do like with a with a, a some legislation that means a lot to you in you know 28 days would you would you not really get a the full discussion out there uh, well that's exactly right but but you would you 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 would if you had the votes okay and that's the big deal. That's what I'm talking about. If you've got a controversial bill that's a high-profile uphill push, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, I, I was just talking to y'all before this call. One of my other clients called, it, freaking out. The executive director says, oh, my God, this bill's been filed. It's, it's, it's our nemesis. And I said, I'm going to tell you what I tell every opponent that I've ever talked to. I'd much rather be me trying to kill a bill than you trying to pass a bill because passing a bill is a Herculean effort under the best of conditions. Anybody that's ever told you different doesn't know what they're talking about. There's no such thing as an easy bill. There's no such thing as a non-controversial bill. There's no such thing as everybody likes my bill. It's not happening. Okay. You got something you're for, somebody's against it. You got something that you own, somebody wants to take it from you. That's what it is up there at the legislature. It's all about money. So you know, that's the thing, Carl, the more money's involved, the more lives that are affected, the more controversies attached to it, the greater chance you have of it getting stuck in the mud in a 28 day session. And you don't have, it's, you know, it's like coming out the sky with an airplane at 200 feet. You don't have enough time to recover before you hit the ground. It's just an uphill battle from the beginning. Well, from the beginning. Now, why would somebody schedule their bill to be heard next week? I would speculate that the opponents that I was talking about earlier scheduled it for a couple of reasons. A, to see if our skeleton grew is holding together or did one of us get bumped off from COVID, you know, or something like that. They're kind of crossing their fingers, maybe. I don't know. 
but also, you know, they don't know what the pr process is. They're counting on us not knowing the process either. Uh, you know, they're not going to pass the bill, not, not on my watch, uh, but under these conditions, like I said, these are, these are much better conditions to kill a bill uh, than I could ever expect. And, you know, so that's why you don't want to put your bill in there. What kind of bills can we expect concerning agriculture uh, with this shortened session and uh, especially with some of the budgetary concerns? I know right now we're going into this with about a, what, a $500 million surplus, but the Revenue Estimating Committee could come back and say, we're losing so much in oil uh, royalties that, that a lot of that money might not be there. Well, that's a good point. I think we were at, uh, we closed at $7 a barrel yesterday and we're, we're, we're uh, budgeted at $53 a barrel. So that's gonna be a huge problem, Avery. You're exactly right. You're, gonna, you're not gonna have, I mean, this is not like Katrina and Reader where you had sales tax revenue from rebuilding. Nobody's going to, I mean, everybody's going to Home Depot because we got nothing else to do, but nobody's going there to rebuild, you know, because the COVID didn't do any damage to physical buildings or anything like that. So that was a huge part of the revenue after Katrina was that sales tax revenue. It carried on for quite a while after the after everything was pretty much settled, taken care of. So, um, yeah, we'll have a surplus uh, that we went in about five hundred million. Uh, the oil is going to hurt us. The sales tax uh, revenue is going to hurt us. Uh, but at the same time, we do have federal disaster aid money coming in uh, for the COVID, and um, I think that's going to help a lot after Katrina and Rita. Again, we're not talking about the same exact conditions, but it did help a lot. And uh, we're finding that, that if you watch the news, you're seeing that a lot, some governors are wanting to extend the mandate, you know, and, and some of them are saying for the purposes of continuing the relief to come in. Uh, they're trying to balance their budgets with uh, the Fed's money when they're the ones that, you know, got the, the budgets out of balance to begin with before the virus. So it's going to be a mess, uh, Avery, but it's also going to be fun. And I'll say one more thing about, uh, you know, how we intend to do this. It's going to be moving fast. It's going to be rolling fast. Uh, one of the suggestions on a handout, they gave a handout at the press conference with the president and the speaker of the house. And they said, group your text. So if we want the ag committee, we put all the ag committee in one group text and, and say they're, they're up there on committee and an amendment gets passed out. We can't be in the building for whatever reason. They might be restricted someday because, you know, high COVID no, number five on the COVID scale or something can't get in the building. Still, we have to let those legislators know Farm Bureau's position, agriculture's position, so they can't say, Joe, you weren't in the room. You know, you didn't call me. You didn't text me. We just didn't know, so I voted with the other side. Can't let that happen. So that's how we're going to utilize technology. One example uh, is to group text, make sure we have every legislator's cell phone number. We won't call them after 10 o'clock because we know they all need their beauty sleep. But that's uh, just one example. So what are some of the ag bills that you expect to see, or will we see any this session at all? Well, we, we already have some scheduled uh, this coming Thursday in the House Committee, and it's predominantly house cleaning measures for the uh, Commissioner of Agriculture. Again, Mike Strain and I talk uh, all the time. I talked to him yesterday. I don't see him trying to do anything basically, but hold what he's got serious with his budget, you know, because we talked about that. Hold what he's got and then do some house cleaning measures. I don't see him coming with anything. We've talked to Bill Richardson with the Ag Center. They don't have anything big. And Farm Bureau, uh, Avery, we're just, no, nothing big this year. Uh, and if and if we had, had something big, I would strongly recommend, you know, on regrouping and coming back another year. But we're, the biggest thing will be 
watching the new process, making sure nothing that is a particular statute, title of law, gets amended into something completely different while, while we're not paying attention. You know, uh, you know we, we always said that but way back when, before the rules changed in the House and the Senate, and it's still too, true to a great degree, that if you get bored in the state capitol and you want something to happen, you know what you do? Just leave the building. As soon as you leave the building, they go, Mapes is gone. Let's get on his stuff. Well, it's kind of a funny story, but here we are. We may not be able to be in the building, okay? And so people, I'm gonna, I was raised, I'm 57 years old. I was raised to believe people are doing things to me 100% of the time in that building when I'm away from it, okay? So now I'm going to have to do business away from it and get used to that. I'll get some therapy and stuff, and we'll work our way through that. Uh, but seriously, the technology, uh, you know, emails, Zoom like we're doing right now, group text, cell phones, all of that's going to be so important. I'm told, I saw, uh, I read a story the other day, says we're getting uh, half, uh, we're getting all our work done at home, America is, uh, in half the amount of time. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm gonna, right now, I got to tell you, I miss the people and I want to touch some people, you know. In the, in the capital process. I mean, when we see each other after we come back from the interim, it's like old home week. We're hugging, we're kissing, we're, we're shaking hands. And that's going to be very difficult going in that building and not doing that and not just interacting with them and doing our job. A big part of our job was interacting with people. We'll get back to that sooner or later. One of the ways that I've seen Joe over the last few years, and I know it's been going on way longer than I've been around, but during sessions, people are interacting Farm Bureau members are in and out of the, the Capitol building. Um, lots of people are there lobbying for thing, uh, bills that are important to them. Doesn't look like, I mean, doesn't even look like you'll be in the building, much less just the grassroots, just citizens coming in to speak on behalf of issues that are important to them. How do you think, I mean, and, and it's probably speculation still, but how do you think uh, it's going to look different for the grassroots uh, moving forward for the rest of the session, at least. Well, again, again, uh, let's go. Uh, I want to go straight back to electronics. Uh, we're fortunate at Farm Bureau that we've been making that transition, Carl, for, I don't know, probably close to 10 years, for example, with programs like Voter Voice, where we can, it's a grass, for anybody that's listening, doesn't know, that's an uh, email program, and it's a grassroots participation program, uh, very specifically targeted, where we take your name, your address, your zip code, plug it into the computer program, and it hooks you up with, it matches you with just your constituent legislators, senators and reps. So when we ask you to send a, an email that we'll send you, say, please hit the submit button. It's an important issue to Agriculture and Farm Bureau. You send it and you can be safe knowing that you'll never be accused of sending spam email because it's going to have this Farm Bureau logo on. It's going to be personalized. It's going to come from you. And it's going to have a lot of influence. And Carl, thank you for that question because we're already there but we're not there 100%, okay? We're gonna be relying on systems like voter voice and group texting a whole lot more than we ever have been before. Thank goodness uh, we've had some transition, you know, and, and, and our members like voter voice and they participate in it. So the answer to your question is, I think we all fix it to get a whole lot closer to uh, grassroots participation uh, programs. I know in years past with grassroots government, with the video series, we would say, call your legislatures, call, uh, you know, write them a letter, get involved in that way. And I think that's going to be the only way that it looks like moving, like at least through the rest of this session, that's going to be the way that we can communicate with them is by phone calls or emails or, um, you know, making our voice known that way and not so much by coming in 
being in, in the halls of the big pointy building. Now, one of the strengths, the main strength of Farm Bureau and ag as, a, as an industry uh, has always been their back home local participation, one-on-one relationships with the senators, the reps, their families. They go to church with them, they go to school with them. And then when we ask them to participate back home, they get in the truck and go down to the constituent office of the legislator and talk to them. So that's our, that's our main strength. And Carl, I don't see that changing. Okay. Even if somebody's got to go down, uh, if a, if a farm bureau member has got to go down to a constituent's off, I mean, constituent legislator's office and stand six feet away and wear a mask and some gloves, they're going to do it. That's a farm bureau member. Okay. So that's, that's a, that's another, that's our biggest strength. It's always been there, still is there. So you add that to our transition that we've been working on the electronic, uh, the electronics portion of it. And we're, we're going to be, we're going to continue to be, uh, Greatly successful, Carl. I'm looking forward to it. I know that methodology might not change, but what has changed at the legislature is the people. I mean, you're looking at more new legislators this go round than you've ever had before, and you're not getting any FaceTime with them. That's got to be a little bit of a, a challenge to overcome. Yes, but Avery, God takes care of drunks and fools. And just prior to this session, we were participated in Farm Bureau legislative appreciation dinners all over the state. We sat back home with them on rainy nights, on cold nights with their constituent farmers and insurance agents. And we got to know them very well. We, uh, we, I got to commend Tim Payne and our entire staff, uh, you know, our whole staff, Ashley, all of us, Kyle. We put this thing together and, and had... I mean, all the legislators showed up. We were very pleased, pleasantly surprised. We had 50 to 80 people in the room. We were up in Shreveport. We had 80-something people in the room on a Wednesday night raining. And so we got in these conditions with them back home. And, guys, I can't tell you how much different that is than getting with these men and women at a steakhouse in Baton Rouge. It's not the same. You go to Ruth's Chris in Baton Rouge, you know, it's all – hoity-toity, and you're looking around to see who else is there, but you're not getting to know each other. You're not saying, hey, this is my brother. You know, a legislator's not telling you, this is my brother or my sister. I want you to meet him or whatnot. They're not telling you about, they'll tour you. They love touring you if you're home in their district with them. And the, the more the time that you spend back home with them in the district, Avery, that's the quality time. And that, again, that's, that's another part, a huge part of our success. Even if we were able to see them right now, uh, I, I'm not cons- I, I would like to personally, socially, but, but professionally, even if we can't see them right now, it's okay. We've, we've got our relationships in place from back home. We've got our electronics coming, but th- those relationships back home are not going to back off. They're going to continue to participate. You know that because that's the Farm Bureau member and that's what they do. I'll take the silver star over Ruth's Chris any day, especially, uh, <laughs> you know, when we're talking about getting a bunch of Farm Bureau folks together because that, that for one, I just like the silver star. It's a great place over there. It was. Very good food. And, and good people. I mean, I, I was really impressed with the turnout there. And I bring that one up because that was the only one of the legislative uh, dinners I made. But like you said, this is much more informal. It's not like we're going, I'm taking you to Roots, Chris, because I'm trying to butter you up. No, I'm bringing you to the Silver Star because this is where our folks meet anyway. Right. I got to tell you a story uh, about Bubba Cheney when he was first elected to the legislature. Bill Richardson, Hamp, Grunwald, and Sandy and I took off for a, uh, a Farm Bureau Legislative Appreciation Dinner up there right after he got elected. And uh, it was in the LSU Ag uh, Extension Center. 
and and I'm at the door greeting people coming in and Bubba walks in and, and Bubba's the nicest guy you ever want to meet once you get to know him. And he walks up to me and he and I say, Hey, how you doing? I'm Joe Mapes. And he goes, You're a lobbyist? I go, Yeah, he goes as stiff as a board. He don't want to talk to me. He don't want to look at me. He's just it's like he's scared of me, okay? Well, guess what? Uh, Murphy's Law is real, so he had to sit right next to me at dinner. And and by the time dinner was over, uh, we were talking about the fact that he was a haberdasher, and I liked men's clothes a lot, and I was into him. He was out in his trunk. He gave me ties out of his trunk when he closed his haberdashery store. That's that's it. Now, I'm not back home paying him off money. Me and Bubba, Bubba and I hit it off right then and there. And to this day, we're great friends, and he knew from that moment that we hit it off down there back home with him. Uh, that that he could trust me, okay? And I knew that I could trust him. And you're not going to get that at Ruth's Chris. You're not going to get that in a meeting in a corporate building down by the Mississippi River. What you're going to get, uh, good morning, what you're going to get is uh, you, what you need. You need to be able to trust those people you're working with, and they need to be able to trust you. That's another huge factor in all of this, Avery. So you might think, whoo, some carpetbaggers are going to come to town and take take uh, opportunity, take uh, advantage of this disorganized, this new disorganized legislative process ain't going to happen because you got to have the trust in place too. Now we're back to the Farm Bureau members again. They're trusted. Farm Bureau itself is trusted and respected. And Sandy and I are trusted and respected up there too. That's going to go a long way, whether it's over a text, a phone call, or an in-person meeting. Well, I know one of the people who we trust to give us the information about national affairs finally made it onto the Zoom call. Andy Brown, the national affairs coordinator for the Louisiana Farm Bureau is with us now. And uh, Andy, I've been seeing a lot of national stories and even some local stories about concerns about the livestock industry and the, the plants that, clo- that are closing and that sort of thing. What's going on on the national front there? I saw you know, President Trump signed his executive order to keep them open. Yeah, when you get the president of the United States concerned on your issue, you know it's a big deal. So, uh, and a lot of it, uh, frankly, is is scare tactics. When you break down the statistics, there's still plenty of meat going to grocery shelves in this country, but we haven't realized all of the issues that are that are coming just yet. But to have this presidential declaration certainly will help. Um, but what what that's done is we've had a lot of meat packing plants that have had a lot of um, outside pressure that, I mean, there's been some cases of COVID in these, um, in these plants, but uh, not at the, uh, not at the fault necessarily of these plants. They're doing a lot uh, of things, a lot of measures to try to keep their employees safe. Uh, Plastic shields in between workers on a line that are processing. Uh, But then there's other things that they can't control, like getting PPE, into their plants to keep workers safe. So this declaration is, is giving them some flexibility, is allowing them to work with FEMA uh, a little more directly and, and have more of a state of emergency to have more flexibility to keep processes going because that's what, that's what our farmers need. They need those plants going because that's their market. As much as the consumer in the dinner plate is their market, they gotta have help getting it there. They gotta have federally inspected facilities to, to get it to the, the end consumers. We need those plants staying open. So Andy, what is American Farm Bureau doing on that front? What are some of their issues that they're bringing up? Yeah, so our main, uh, well, I guess our first avenue looking at uh, these issues in the processing plants has been labor and what can be done to keep workers going without having a bunch of liability on the processor. And I mean, the number one concern is always the safety of 
of the people working there. So um, they've looked at times of bringing in the National Guard to help facilitate things. They've uh, American Farm Bureau is looking at policy to, to try and free up more PPE and uh, some funding to help get it there. That's the call I was I was on just now. We heard uh, from a correspondent with USDA that's working with uh, with Health and Human Services and with FEMA and uh, Homeland Security. Uh, another alphabet soup for Carl. I know he loves all the acronyms, but uh, they they're looking at like one instance they gave today is. Uh, FEMA's passing down three million cloth masks to states to distribute to critical infrastructure. Certainly, those are going to go to to hospitals and healthcare workers first. But we're starting to fulfill a lot of those needs. And with this presidential declaration, that's put food and ag uh, up there, right behind hospitals in line to get some of these products. So that's really what it's done is it's elevated our status to to understand that these processes and these people that that are required to, to make all this work are critical people they're not just essential they're critical now and so um american farm Bureau is just trying to coordinate the efforts there like they always do a lot of states doing a lot of different things but they're helping get the word out on a lot of that it's also critical that the people who work in agriculture get their paychecks and continue to get paid what's the status with the the second round of uh, Paycheck Protection Program, where does that stand for, for our folks in agriculture? Yeah, so money's going out. Um, the, the process is back up and going, but it's, it's not seamless. It's still got its sets of issues. Uh, when you got tens of thousands of banks across this country of varying sizes with all different kind of clientele, you know, and it's not a one size fits all approach. So we keep hearing of issues. Um, we did think that we kind of had a, uh, I don't want to say a loophole, but we found some uh, ground to stand on as far as H2A uh, workers go and their involvement in the PPP process because the, the law said that if the U.S. was their primary residence, and by definition that means six months and a day uh, from what lawyers looked at, um, that would put a lot of H-2A workers in the category of, of qualifying uh, to, for their employer to file them under their PPP. But uh, that's pretty murky waters right now still. And we, we really just need uh, some clear guidance on that. We may have to come through this next stimulus package and, and let our congressmen and women uh, define it for the agency if they can't do so in a timely fashion. So still uncertainty there's still local issues of banks not being eligible and not getting their applications to be able to provide these loans through uh, it's just a lot of moving parts i mean there's a lot of hard-working people working on it at sba and other agencies are trying to pitch in and kind of help and uh, that we work with more commonly like usda but at the end of the day you got to have clear rules so everybody can follow the rules and and some of those rules dealing with h2a still aren't clear enough to to operate efficiently. You know that things are starting to get back to normal in terms of most things in the in the United States politics starts to take center stage again and that seems to be happening now uh, both on the national and the state front. How much is the the politicizing of the, this uh, situation going to affect any other aid packages going forward? 
yeah, I'll, I'll just give you a specific example of kind of a concern I have. Uh, the, the chairman of the House Ag Committee, uh, Colin Peterson from Minnesota, uh, he's a Democrat, but he's been a good friend of agriculture uh, for years and years. But uh, he's, he's come out pretty strong already saying that if the CCC is going to get more money, SDA is going to get another large chunk of money. Uh, he's had some displeasure with how this 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 current round is being handled, and he wants a little more say so. He thinks Congress should have a little more say so in how it's spent. So um, while they hold the keys to getting more funding through their votes, uh, we also know that more government involvement means more red tape and can slow down the process of getting this money. I mean, the farmer still isn't seeing money out of the the CARES Act from USDA yet. So we haven't even seen it. We're already talking about how we're going to administer the next round that isn't even dreamed up yet. So it's there's definitely politics at play. The Senate's coming back next week, but the House isn't. And we know the Senate's a Republican majority that aligns with the president's goals and the House is not. So it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge. But uh, I kind of picked up on the the tail end of what y'all were talking about from Joe's standpoint. Um, it's also a challenge because not all the staffers are going back to DC with the members. That's right. Uh, you gotta, you gotta communicate, but like Joe was saying, hopefully Farm Bureau has that trust that uh, if they have questions, they're going to come to us instead of us having to beat down their door with all of this uh, song and dance that they know when they come to us, they get facts, figures and, and trusted information. Have you seen that to be true so far, like throughout this coronavirus, Andy? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think we can go back to our, our crawfish example of, of how that was put together. And we're starting to talk now about looking at that for our poultry growers that uh, at the end of the day, when farmers need a voice, uh, it's not going to be their integrator that's uh, controlling when they get their, their chickens. It's not going to be their buyer, their peeler buyer for crawfish that, um, you know, buys what's left over. It's not going to be, uh, even a lot of times, it's not going to be their, their congressman because he's got to be the voice for every one of his constituents. You can't just focus on ag. So we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing guys that uh, and, and women, our members, uh, come and give us issues and work with us and uh, they're busy as all get out, but they're still coming to the process. We we have members raring to go to D.C. to take on these challenges and get on a plane, but unfortunately, we're not capable or able to to do that just yet. You read my mind. I was actually I asked Joe the same question about how has coronavirus changed the way that Farm Bureau members will be able to interact at the state capitol, but further on to the national capital to D.C. How, how are things going to be different as far as people being involved in the process, the grassroots membership being involved in the process moving forward, um, you know, at least over the next little while? Yeah, I, I think that's another plus uh, on the on, – that's another touchdown on the scoreboard for Farm Bureau is we kind of already have these processes down that go pretty well. Uh, Joe will be proud. I was on a call with our poultry uh, committee yesterday. And they were asking about voter voice to see if we could uh, implement that on how to get their message out. And it's like, there wow, you go. They, they understand the value of communication. But uh, Andy, let me, I got to interrupt you there and tell you, because you said a minute ago that, 
you know, hopefully they'll, we won't have to seek them out so much and they'll come to us. They, they do. Okay. And it's, it's just a wonderful thing. And we don't rely on that. We don't just sit back and wait for them to call us, but, but they come looking for us because uh, they're dedicated to their people in their district on those issues that affect rural Louisiana and agriculture. Yeah. And I'll just, I mean, to further explain that process of, of how us as staff work through some of these ideas, uh, I work uh, corn and soybeans, our feed grains committee. Uh, ethanol is, is in the tank right now. It's struggling big time. But I also know that our state and our elected officials have to be uh, fairly loyal to the oil and gas industry who's hurting even harder than ethanol. So while I still flag things for them regarding ethanol and I still get our point across, uh, the expectations for, you know, we, we have a relationship. It's, it's not just uh, a bunch of BS. They're, they're real people, those staffers, just like I am. And we communicate like, hey, I understand if you can't be a champion for ethanol. We get that. But you need to be aware that there are corn farmers in this state that are seeing reduction in their price uh, in dramatic ways. And a lot of that's to do with ethanol. So, um, you know, you, you see it. Our members talk about it. I see it on their Facebooks and everywhere else that they're uh, they're not wanting to harm their neighbor who's uh, works on a pipeline any more than he's wanting to, to harm the corn farmer. So there's some ebb and flow there. But like Joe said, the key is that uh, that they trust me not to get upset with them when they can't champion our issue, but then that they respect the pressure that I have to put on them when we do expect them to champion an issue. It comes down to relationships and trust. I mean, that both, both of y'all have said those same things this entire episode. And, and respect and the respect that comes from that. I gotta, I'm going to tell you all, all of y'all, listeners and everybody, a story that hopefully will give y'all uh, some peace of mind. It's my first political experience ever with Farm Bureau. And that's right after Ronnie had hired our firm in 1986. And we went to the legislature uh, that year and went and put out our notes. We sent out notes from us in the back of the House of the Senate. And, you know, Mr. Smith, Senator Smith, can we see you please in the back? And you know, maybe you'll put what's on the issue or not. But uh, all I did was put Joe Mapes, Farm Bureau, may I see you? And that's all I was ever taught to do. And I didn't say, I want to see you about this issue because, you know, anyway, so I said, may I see you? And at the end of the day, I went back to the office with my father and Sandy and I said, you're not going to believe what happened today. They go, what? I said, I sent out my notes from Farm Bureau. And they go, yeah. And I said, and every one of those legislators got up and walked back and came and talked to me. Okay, now that sounds like that's not that big of a deal, but that doesn't happen with my other clients, okay? Not 100%. The, uh, there's so much respect for Farm Bureau. It had nothing to do with Joe Mapes and his note, because I've been sending out notes for years, the legislators on other issues, and they weren't standing up like they were called to the principal's office and running back to the back of the chamber like they did when all I did was put Farm Bureau on the note. That's how much respect that is held out there for Farm Bureau, and again, that should give all of us a great peace of mind because that's what we're going into this battle with, relying on. You know, for a story you once told me about a poultry grower up in uh, North Louisiana had a little problem with a, a, a legislator. So you told that poultry grower about it and she ended up calling his daddy. <laughs> handled. But right now, poultry growers need a lot of assistance what is going on with our poultry industry, not just nationally, but here in Louisiana? And what's, 
what do we hope to see as the remedy? Because at this point, I don't believe poultry is in any of the disaster aid. No, it's not, Avery. And that's, um, it's, y'all are going to hear a lot more from me on poultry because we're starting to, to gear up for an effort similar to what we did for crawfish because uh, there's not a lot of, uh, it's, it's just the way the, the business is vertically integrated is the term that is used for poultry all the time. But for people that don't understand how that works, uh, the poultry farmer, the chicken farmer, has a whole lot of liability in a building and in technology and uh, in his time because that's mainly what is in his his labor uh, his effort. I got I got to interrupt you there because you say liability. Let's let's put, say what it really is. It's debt. Yeah, millions of dollars. And uh, yeah, you can you can talk about free range chickens all you want, but at the end of the day. Those, uh, those little birds live in a Taj Mahal, and it's not cheap to, to put those suckers up. So uh, from one or two houses to dozens of houses, depending on what that, uh, that businessman or woman can afford, they have a lot of uh, financial risk sitting out there on a small amount of acres that um, can't just turn around. It's not like if you, uh, you know, farmers can't turn on a dime, but if you have a planter and you have some harvesting equipment. If uh, if corn's in the tank, you can start growing rice. Well, if you got a chicken house, you can't start growing green beans. It just doesn't it doesn't translate. So we've kind of talked about the processing side. Um, that's unfortunately we're seeing how fragile that system can be for our poultry growers. Uh, they have a very efficient process of growing those birds and putting weight on them. That's what they get paid on. And if they get too big or they don't have anywhere to go with them. Um, things can get inefficient very quickly. So uh, that means that it can go longer times that a farmer doesn't have chickens on his farm. And, and when you have a, a facility out there that's not making any, making you any money, then you're just eating costs that you can't afford. So that's where our guys are at. But like some other industries, they've kind of turned to Farm Bureau because they don't have anywhere else to turn. And so we're going to be fighting for them. We're going to try and quantify what uh, the losses are out there and unfortunately this current usda uh, uh, program the food assistance program doesn't include them because of their structure and and how they're involved with the the integrators that supply their birds uh, so we're going to try to get creative and find some solutions for them too so y'all hear more about that but uh, don't worry you don't have to go panic by chicken wings there's plenty of chickens out there we just got to get some help for as we as we grease this machine and get it running back right and i'm going to go down a rabbit hole maybe i shouldn't but i'm going there okay i I see the rabbit hole i'm gonna investigate it you mentioned about there's plenty of chicken out there we have a system that is set up to run efficiently when there is a sufficient amount of demand and right now we're not not having these large gatherings at any of the big restaurants or banquet halls where you're serving up 80 to 150 plates of chicken breast at a time. No, we're have, we have people at home who might be eating chicken breast once a day. You know, and I think that is, is that some of what we're seeing as causing the breakdown is you've had this precipitous drop in demand and this machine is designed to output all of this at once. And when, when you don't have something to take it up, 
the, the it backlogs. It, it it starts to clog up the machine. Is that what we're seeing? Yeah, I think that's important for folks to understand because there's a lot of chatter out there about well, why are we still uh, importing products and why is there supposed um, loss in demand when my grocery store shelves are empty? It, it's the the economics of it aren't uh, that cut and dry. There's uh, there's a lot that goes into that demand side, not just what you cook uh, three times a day on your stovetop. Uh, there's lots of restaurants out there that rely on, I mean, I, I've seen numbers try to get put out there about what uh, the loss of March Madness has done to food consumption because there's not people at Buffalo Wild Wings eating uh, two dozen chicken wings while they watch their ball teams. You know, it's just, there's a lot that goes into it. And so that's, for an industry like this that hasn't had a historical precedent set of how government assistance works, that's why it takes a little heavier lifting now and a little more involvement. Because our, you know, it's it's easy to understand some aspects of farming, but uh, to understand who owns what and who has the liability and and how the business model works for for poultry producers is a whole different ball game. So. Uh, we, we have some education to do, but we, we also have some creativity to drum up to, to figure out how we can help these guys. Andy, uh, what about the workforce? What, are they having trouble getting people, you know, come to those plants to work? Because Mike Strain and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago, and it hadn't really become an issue yet. But, I mean, are people just taking the, the unemployment checks and not coming back? Or, or how's the workforce look up there with the, with the pl- processing plant? Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what's rearing its head in Louisiana, Joe. Is that uh, we've heard that the growers, you know, or excuse me, that uh, the processors, people, employees working at these plants aren't showing up, whether they're they're scared or they just have uh, incentive with a with a inflated unemployment check right now with the Fed plus up that's come the extra money thrown at unemployment from federal dollars. Uh, that's not supposed to occur that way. We're supposed to have uh, agencies in the state that make sure that somebody got laid off or fired from their job to qualify for unemployment, not just because they wanted to go home and sit on the couch. But we know that all those systems right now are pretty overloaded. So there's, there's going to be some that fall through the cracks. So uh, that's the main issue for Louisiana. Uh, Chicken processing is, they just can't get enough people to show up. So uh, when you hear about unemployment numbers and uh, you hear about farmers wanting to bring in foreign labor, and you might question that a little bit, um, the jobs, you know, they may not be everybody's top choice for a job, but there's some jobs out there. It's just got to have willing and able folks to show up uh, to, to fulfill those needs. Well, I'm just glad that both you and Joe show up every day to fight for the Louisiana Farm Bureau and its members. Uh, You know, I will have chicken on the menu very soon. Uh, So on behalf of Carl Wiggers, our producer, Joe Mapes, our legislative affairs director, and uh, Andy Brown, our national affairs coordinator, I'm going to pass it off to Joe. What what happens like that chicken I'm going to have on my table? If you're not at the new electronic table of the political process, you're going to be on the menu. <laughs> <laughs>